Yeah, I mean, I could... Here, I'm going to try to segue this. Welcome to Feeling It, a podcast where we discuss TV, movies, pop culture, and whether or not we are feeling it. If this is your first time joining us, welcome to the show. And here we go. Come on, talk and talk. All right, here we go. You guys want to hear something neat? It's showtime! Hold your ears, folks. Here we go! See what you can do now. Take your position. All right, ladies, buckle up. Let's do this. Hold on to your butts. Seriously? Listen to me very, very carefully. Hey, it's me again. Eat him up. Enjoy. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to Feeling It. Each week on this show, we like to share what pieces of pop culture we're really feeling. Whatever show, movie, song, or tech, we just can't get out of our heads. In addition to those picks, this week we'll be discussing DC's latest attempt at supervillain storytelling, The Suicide Squad. But before we get started with all of that, let's introduce ourselves. And when we do, let's answer the question. In honor of the Suicide Squad character Ratcatcher 2, if you could have full control over any species of animal, what would it be? I'm Lucas Wright from Chicago, and I think the very simple answer for me would be dogs, because the dog is the animal that I interact with the most. But I honestly think the the real answer would be um, mosquitoes. I would just love to be able to keep mosquitoes away from me at all times. Yeah, and, and sick them on other people. Yes, that too. I would love to do that. I mean, that's if we're if we're thinking super villain yeah. also. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not I'm not looking to take over the world with my mosquito powers. Um, just mostly sure. looking to to stay uh, bite free. <laughs> I mean, but you know, like if someone's really annoying you, it's got to be a fun. It would come train. in handy for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I am Sandra Omstutz. I'm in Nashville, Tennessee, and. For me, the obvious answer is it, from from a supervillain power perspective, <laughs> the obvious answer is birds. Like birds, yeah. similar to rats, birds are everywhere. Like no matter where you are, there's going to be a bird nearby. Um, if you get enough of them, they could probably help, like transport you places. Yeah, they they can do a lot of damage. They're very mobile. Um, birds, I think, are where it's at. I, I'm not like. I don't necessarily need to, like, cuddle up with birds the way, <laughs> like, maybe yeah. the character of Ratcatcher mm-hmm. 2 does. But, you know, I think also, similar to the mosquito aspect, I can get pretty annoyed by birds making a lot of noise. Mm. So if I can, like, control that around my surroundings, I think I'd like them yeah. more. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, Lucas, what are you feeling this week? Um, this week I am feeling a, a YouTube video by Chase Eagleton. He does a lot of covers on YouTube. Um, uh, I don't know why I forgot what covers are. I tried to explain what a cover is. <laughs> I think we know what a cover is. Yeah. Yeah. He does a lot of song covers on YouTube, um, in different spots. Like he, he'll go out and film himself playing the guitar by a lake or something like that, but just like very soft calm soothing covers um of songs from all genres he did you know hey off from outcast he's done elton john and rihanna um and he did a cover um with his girlfriend of blink 182's i miss you and i obviously have a soft spot in my heart for blink 182 and that song specifically i think is really great and his cover of it i think is beautiful
Yeah, so that's really the vibe. Um, and I absolutely love that song. And when I saw that he did a cover of it, I was like, okay, well, that's just going to be on loop all week. So <laughs> I am also a fan of like soft covers. Mm-hmm. It's a simple thing that's been, that like everybody does, but it just like, if you get the right song and the right person singing it, it really hits home. So <laughs> I am feeling the HBO sh- like Sunday night show that just concluded called the white lotus have you been watching the white lotus lucas oh boy have i been watching the white lotus i'm very excited i am i'm very excited to talk about this i I binged the whole show which wasn't hard but (laughs) really got hooked into this show in case you are unfamiliar with white lotus it's about a group of tourists that are staying at a resort in hawaii and it's you know, several rich tourists and, and and then the staff that's working this resort and interacting with these tourists. And the very first, like, minute of the show is one of the tourists um, at an airport on the way home from the visit. And we find out that someone has been killed at the hotel. Um, and then it cuts to seven days earlier. And that's when the story begins. As we see um, these visitors arriving to the hotel and we know that by the end of this week long stay, someone will be dead. Um, I, I love the constantly switching tone of the show from funny to intense to drama to mysterious to mostly tense, I guess. <laughs> the way that this show is pointing out the tragedy of like our class system and how and capitalism and mm-hmm. how it's how inescapable it is yeah and um the way that that affects people in minute and major ways i love the way it makes fun of these rich people while still well not turning them or invested in um but never missing an opportunity to make fun of them or point out the ways in which they are villainous this show is so so good. How, tell me what you thought about this and watching it. Yeah, I I really enjoyed it. I think I <laughs> I had a little unique uh, experience watching this show. I went to Maui in July, and there's such of a, a difference between like the resort parts of of Maui and the like more real you know places where where the, where the people of Maui actually live. Um, it just feels like a really big disconnect. And so while we were there, we just talked a lot about, you know, the, you know, the class and the, you know, the, the difference between, you know, how uh, the colonization of, of Hawaii has been treated um, yeah. versus the colonization of other places. And, um, you know, a, a, a lot of nights we would go and walk down on a boardwalk um, and look at these massive resorts um, and kind of see just how um, uncomfortable it felt to be there in that in those kinds of places um and got home on a sunday morning and on sunday night this show aired and that's exactly where we were so that that boardwalk that hotel all of that um is is what we saw every day <laughs> wow and so were y'all were y'all staying at we did a not stay at a resort no we stayed okay. we stayed on a, in an airbnb on the other side of the island okay. um but we would, but the resorts is where a lot of the stuff happens, and so um, we'd go yeah. there for drinks and things like that. And so, right, um, yeah. So that that felt very surreal, and I'm really glad that the the show kind of 
dug into, I think, a lot of the things that people think about when you go to Maui. Well, not the kinds of people in the show. The, those people don't think about it. But I think when right. normal people go to Maui, that's stuff that you have to wrestle with and, and have to, like, think about um, as you're kind of in that environment. And I think it did a really good job of, um, like, like you said, talking through that without it being too characteristic with all of the the rich people. Um, having them be real characters and yet also um, kind of showing exactly what type of people are the people um, who come and just kind of really dismiss everything about everyone who's there. Um, I think there there's definitely like a criticism of it centering itself on those characters, but I think the way that this story is told, it kind of needs to be. And I do think that it, it, it does a good job of kind of addressing those things from that perspective. Um, I do think just the way it handles um, the the mystery box element of it, I think is really good just because it doesn't set up its initial like conceit as a mystery, but more as like, this is where we're ending um, and we'll watch mm-hmm. you get to it. Whereas other, there, there are many HBO shows that start off with, here's the mystery, find out who, you know, who died, who's the killer, all of right. these things. Right. In any, like you said, in any other HBO show, this would be the mystery that each week we kind of, get another clue as to who it's going to be and who killed who. And um, the end of the episode would end with like a a plot twist Mm -hmm. in the, in the case. (laughs) Right. Um, And this show did not take that um, pattern at all. It it said, we're going to tell a, we're going to tell a story that we would have told normally about these characters, about these relationships and the dynamics between um, these people who are just meeting each other or the people who have known each other for a long time. And then the the setup that we like put at the very beginning of this series will be resolved, but it is not the focus of this show. It is a result of all the relationships that have happened on this show, yep. which was refreshing and it really, was. really good. Um, there is one particular storyline that I was so invested in, and that was of the couple that is arriving on this in, in Hawaii, the Honeymooners. Mm-hmm. Um, Played by Jake Lacey to- and Andrew, Andrew Dar... Andrew- what Alexandria Alexandria Daddario? Wow, that was hard to say. Yes, yes, Alexandria Daddario. Which she's someone I haven't seen in a lot, but I do feel like she's been in a lot of bad stuff, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and she like is amazing in this show. She pulls out a performance that um, I I felt so much empathy for. And Jake Lacey is someone I've been a fan of for a long time. And he finally gets a, a really rich, juicy character to play with that it, that goes against type in a really fantastic way. But at the same time, really uses the type of character he has played to its advantage, mm-hmm. right? Um, they play kind of this, this, these honeymooners and, um, I was so invested in their dynamic and their that relationship crumbling in really small and specific ways. Um, I could have, if the show was just a horror story about their experience in Hawaii, I think that would have been enough for me. You know, like, I was so invested in their plot line. Um, but the rest of it is also really, really juicy. Um, I, I mean, I cackled so much at those college girls and <laughs> their interactions with people. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, 
was so invested in this show. Oh, and I've got to say before we talk about something else, um, Murray Bartlett plays the show, the hotel manager that um, is bouncing in between all the different storylines and kind of losing his mind as he's you know serving these guests. And I have been a fan of his since he was a star on the HBO Looking, show Looking. Yeah. Uh, I loved Looking, and he was so good on Looking, and I was so excited to see him get like a starring turn yeah. here on this show. He was fantastic. As in yeah, it. he is amazing. Um, <laughs> and I, I really think uh, everything about his character is perfect for <laughs> exactly kind of the this this vibe um, of the show and i think he really yeah. he really holds all of these storylines together um and i think he does he does a perfect balance of um you know anger and you know resentment to these awful awful guests and yet uh, you know his own little sense of entitlement of you know being in charge and being the person who's running this place. And um, it's just, he's, he's absolutely perfect. And I absolutely loved his performance. I have so much to say about this show. What do you, what do you think about a left turn? And we just talk about this show <laughs> as our main topic. I mean, l- here's what I think we should do. Um, I think we should do a quick recap on our feelings of suicide squad yes but then do a spoiler section for white lotus yes that that works for me there's a lot to say (laughs) there's so much to say i i could talk about each character ad nauseum Mm -hmm. for quite a you know so let's let's talk about suicide squad but we'll make it quick okay because i think our our thoughts on suicide squad are pretty succinct um at least mine are definitely i don't want to do your dirty work no more We've talked about this before, I think on the podcast, um, back years ago, um, when the first Suicide Squad, Know The, came out. Um, I believe this was back when Brent was hosting the podcast with us, and I believe Brent and I went to see it, and you opted out. So here's the deal. Brent and Lawson were on the podcast. I, me and Lawson were vacationing in California and we were going to go watch Suicide Squad um, while we were on vacation. And then we heard such terrible things that we bailed on you guys and you guys just had to do it on your own. Yeah, I did go see Suicide Squad. (laughs) I was actually looking forward to it because I thought it was because it had a great trailer, in my opinion, like a, a really well cut, exciting trailer. And... I think I even went opening night to be honest. Wow. Um, you know, That's a vibe. I, I don't think it was. I don't think it was because I was exci- that excited. <laughs> I think it was just because like we were going to do the podcast, yeah. and you know, um, let me tell you, to this day, Suicide Squad is one of the worst movies I've ever <laughs> seen. The fir- the Suicide Squad is at the very bottom of my letterbox list. Wow. Like it, it, movies that I have seen and rated suicide squad is down, down, down below at the bottom. Um, I hate that movie so much. Um, I had a viscerally bad experience watching that movie. The one shining light from that film is Margot Robbie's performance mm-hmm. as Harley Quinn. She is great. I love every second of her performance. Um, everything else about the movie did not work for me. <laughs> um, but the premise is something that I was excited about. Like, 
a team of supervillains having to work together. Um, that whole, like, can bad guys be good? Can, what's the, the charm of a villain, right? Like, we all love a good, entertaining villain. Um, a group of them, wanting to root for a group of them seems really fun. That whole, you know, um, I think it's a phrase, a, a phrase, catchphrase from Bachelor. Villains got a vill. Have you ever heard that? No. <laughs> um, I think you know there was one like douchebag guy who is the villain of his season on Bachelorette, and at one moment he kind of like just shouted into the crowd like, "Hey, villains got a vill," you know, and that is like a, a mindset that has always made me laugh, <laughs> but it also I think really speaks to the villain narrative, yeah. right? That like. Villains can't help themselves. The villains got a vill. And um, so I really love the idea of Suicide Squad. But Suicide Squad by David Ayer was a piece of trash. <laughs> and um, which was disappointing for that premise and those actors, because it had a lot of great actors, um, to kind of be ruined in that way. And then... It was, you know, we we finally get this this franchise, this print, this storyline revived by James Gunn, who is a director that I don't think I don't I'm not a James Gunn super fan. I don't love everything yeah. he does, or I don't always like love his style, but I really appreciate it, and I and I do respect it. I understand, like I can watch his stuff and understand, like this is someone with a very unique perspective. With, who with great comedy chops and um, who likes to bring heart to like twisted storytelling um, and guardians of the galaxy, the, both of the guardians of the galaxy films, I think are like really well done. I think they're some of the, the best like pathos storytelling in the Marvel cinematic universe. I think it's him very tamed down to, to work with Disney, mm-hmm. but it, it's him doing really great work. All that to say, I was very excited about him reviving these characters with the Suicide Squad. Um, now, I want to know, I'm, I'm pretty sure you haven't seen the original Suicide nope. Squad still, but I want to <laughs> confirm that. Yeah, yeah, I, did, I have not seen um, it at did all. Did you ever watch Birds of Prey? I did watch Birds of Prey. So I kn- what did you I'm trying to remember how you felt about birds of I prey. liked birds of prey I didn't think it was great but I really liked uh, the performances and the characters in it overall I just didn't uh, love the story all that much yeah so when watch when getting ready to watch the suicide squad were you excited to see Harley Quinn again I was I was excited to see Harley Quinn because I do think Margot Robbie out of the entire probably she's probably my favorite character out of the DCEU um, I just, I yeah. just think she's done a, f- a very fun job with it. And she is one of the only characters that feels kind of, um, exciting and unpredictable to watch. Like she can do yeah. a lot of stuff, which is really fun. Um, and so coming into this with her in it and just, I, th- I think the trailer for this movie is really good and really funny. Um, and we haven't yeah. seen a funny um, uh, DCEU movie. Like I thought, I thought Birds of Birds of Prey had some jokes in it. I think, but I, I didn't feel it as funny. I thought you were about to say we haven't seen a funny movie in a while <laughs> no. because I don't think we have. That like, is probably true. Also, I don't know the last time we saw like a good comedy. <laughs> yeah, it's been a while. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I was I was actually pretty pumped. Um, I was 
I don't love gore. And so knowing that this movie yeah. was going to be pretty gory um, kind of had me on edge. But coming into it, I was definitely excited for it. Yeah. And how do you feel about James Gunn, like, up before this movie? I mean... His Guardians movies are the only movies of his that I've watched, and I I, I okay. like those, but I understand his vibe outside of that. <laughs> and so, yeah. so I was like, I kind, of, kind of kind of like you, where it's like, I'm not in on James Gunn fully or anything like that, but I definitely appreciate his style and um, him, he, like, he really pushes it. And so I, I was, again, in this universe that uh, hasn't been exactly my cup of tea, I'm interested to see kind of where he pushes it. Yeah. Suicide Squad, let's see what year that was in. That came out in 2016. So Suicide Squad 2016 is how I think I might be referring to it from now yeah. on. <laughs> um, was rated PG-13. And that alone is, like, just such a huge mistake. Like, the whole point of su- a supervillain story is that it needs to be, like, a little bit more violent a little bit more grimy and intense because these are villains they're not heroes they're not making honorable choices right um they're gonna do the nasty things and that's the whole point of putting the gang together is that this is the kind of team that will do the nasty work that maybe our superheroes won't do right um and so a pg-13 version of that would never work um so I think let's when we're starting to talk about what we did like or not like about this movie, The Suicide Squad 2021, um, I the first thing is that even though I too, like you, Lucas, I'm not a fan of gore. Like that is not my what I come to mm-hmm. the movie for. Um, I was really appreciative that this was an R-rated version of this story. That the studio let James Gunn do a version that was fitting for this premise that was he said they let him be r-rated they let him go over the top um because that's a necessary thing i think for this kind of story definitely ultimately when i watched this movie i watched it at home did you watch it at home i did yes this was the first time where i had a movie that was showing in theaters but then also available at home where i chose to watch it at home instead of going to the theater um in all other instances, I have said, like, no, I'm excited that theaters are back. I'm going to go to the movie theater. I'm going to have that experience. And this was the first time I was like, mm, I think I can watch this at home. Um, and I'm actually very glad I did. I think this is the first one where, where it felt very appropriate to be watching it at home on my couch instead of, like, in a large theater with a group of people. How did you feel about that? I felt completely fine with it. I think... Um being able to take breaks <laughs> in this movie was great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, also, I think I, I think I enjoyed ha- getting to have my own reactions without those reactions being examined. Do you know what yeah, I mean? True. And part of my really awful experience with suicide squad 2016 was the theatrical experience. Mm. It was hearing audience members, primarily male audience members, laugh at these certain violent acts against women as if like that was the comedy um and that was the joke you know any well there's not really any jokes since yeah. 2016 <laughs> so like that's there I, people were laughing i guess at anything but that was like really upsetting for me and part of that bad experience and so i think i was a little gun shy when it comes to the suicide squad that like 
I don't know. I think I'm going to enjoy this movie, but I don't know if I'm going to find the same thing funny, the same things funny as the rest of the audience members. Yeah. And I don't really want that to to soak up their reactions to this film. Um, I don't think that if I had seen it in theater, I think I would have enjoyed it the same because I don't think that this movie would have provided the same kind of opportunities for discomfort the way Suicide Squad 2016 did. Um I think one thing that I really like about James Gunn is that um, from what I can tell from just like his online persona and interviews is that he seems to be a person that has this twisted, violent, you know, sense of humor and, and taste, but ultimately really cares about people and being a good person and has like this heart, like this really... um good heart and likes to imbue all of that in his stories. Um, so while this film does have a lot of gory violence that didn't offend me, but didn't do much for me either, you know, Mm -hmm. um, this film, I don't think takes cheap shots. You know what I mean? Like this film doesn't make me feel gross watching it. Um, other than like in ways that I think were appropriate, (laughs) um, which we can get to in spoilers. Um, and I, I do appreciate that about it. And I even more so appreciate that this like violent like movie with lots of dick jokes and, um, like gross elements had these moments that were in like, so, so sweet, Mm -hmm. right? Where like the sweetness of these characters makes you just like want to shed a tear, and for a movie to, like, capture both of those, I think is really compelling and fun. And ultimately, I had a lot of fun watching this movie. Um, yeah. I don't think it's, like, the best movie of the year, but I think it is super, super fun. And that is what I want out of these kind of films. I totally agree. I thought, it's. I will say this movie is too gory for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's pretty gory. Over the top. But I like, like you said about the R rating, I appreciate that... Um, that R rating allows it to do even just character moments that wouldn't be explored in a PG 13 movie. Um, just because you have that flexibility and you have that, um, that kind of piece of your mind that says this movie could go anywhere. I think what, what the, what the Mm -hmm. beginning of this movie does really well is sets up the mentality that like anything can happen in this movie. So get ready. (laughs) And it, and I think it really takes you to some interesting places because of that. And I a hundred percent agree with you on there. There are some interesting touching moments um, that are not overt. I think that are just kind of like put in there very, you know, softly, um, that, that, that really dig into the heart of some of these characters, which I, I really loved. Um, I think, yeah, overall, like you said, this isn't my favorite movie or anything like that, but I think it's a, it's an interesting, um, twist on a lot of these superhero movies, um, that I hadn't seen before. And I really enjoyed that. Yeah. Um, the other, the last thing I want to bring up before maybe we go to spoilers Mm -hmm. is that I really love how much freedom James Gunn seemed to have while making this. Um, Not just to like be as gory or as gross as he wanted, but to do like very cool art to make very cool artistic choices. Um, For example, he does a lot with text Mm -hmm. on this screen and very fun and cool visual ways that I was into like so into that choice. Um, 
and it lasted it lasted at the whole movie and so it's not even just like you know one cool trick he pulls off like at the beginning with the title sequence he gets to like really stretch his skills yeah. you know um or whatever team he has working with him that like helped yeah. you know create that um I loved that aspect of this movie. And then as always, I love what James Gunn does with music and his Mm -hmm. movies. I mean, like it's undeniable that he knows how to bring popular music into, into films in like really exciting ways. Um, And yeah, this movie is no exception. I, I couldn't tell you, I don't remember a single song in that movie, but I remember while watching it being like, I love everything that's happening with music right now. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. I think one of the things that he also does is um, takes a couple shots at, um, what's it, United States imperialism and Djangoism that kind of happens in, um, (laughs) I think, a lot of superhero movies that um, doesn't really get addressed most of the time. And I think he he really kind of digs into that here, which is, I think, one, surprising, um, but also I think it feels fresh like it feels interesting to take a look at that especially from the perspective of all of these bad guys <laughs> yeah. um yeah. and so yeah without getting into to kind of spoilers of it all it, this is something that just like happens throughout the show um or the show the movie um and you you have john cena's character who i also think is hilarious as peacemaker who's really just a um a very broy uh, Captain America is mm-hmm. what it kind of <laughs> kind of feels like. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, yeah. And and he he kind of you know, um, I think amps up a lot of the, um, kind of the the ruthlessness of American imperialism that kind of shows up in um, a lot of. Sure. I think a lot because it, it, I think it does happen in the Marvel movies. You just don't uh, examine it at all. Well, so many of the Marvel movies and other superhero movies, um, like. A lot of them do work with the United States military or are, like, sponsored by the United States military in ways that are upsetting. Mm -hmm. And this movie is taking on, like, agencies like the FBI and um, the CIA and the United States military um, and really, you know, kind of highlighting their atrocities, right? Um, In a way that, yeah, is appreciated. Yeah. the John Cena character, when, you know, I'm t- we've said a lot of positive things so far. I will say a, one of – is probably the thing I feel the most negatively about in this mm. film. Not his existence or, like, what – Right. All the things you just said. Like, I think more just, like, the humor of his character was the stuff – was the humor that least worked for me. When watching it, I was – a little tired of the joke of the John Cena character that was often, you know, pulled yeah. out. Um, whereas a lot of the other humor in the movie did work for me. Um, his humor didn't. Um, and so that was like my one thing where I was kind of like, we get it. I'm a little over this um, while watching <laughs> yeah. the film. Yeah. Um, was there anything about the film other than the gore that was a little disappointing? I think in general, the... Um... Uh, the the plot itself, um, I, f- I I felt like was a little predictable and and, and tiring, um, but not yeah. to the fact where it, it bothered me at all. It just you know you get to the to the end of the movie and you're like, all right, well this is kind of how we expect everything to, to play out, um, right? But I, I again, I don't I don't think that detracted from it as well. I I just think it wasn't you know it didn't make it stand out as anything special to me. Um, are you ready to do a quick spoiler session yeah. for the Suicide Squad? Let's, let's talk spoilers before we get started. 
Does anyone want to get out? Are you paying attention? It's your last chance to walk away. Let me tell you what's going to happen. Now, cracking gas. Spoilers! Remember, you wanted this. Right off the bat, I do think it's really ballsy of James Gunn to start the movie with a character and an action sequence that we think is going to, like, lead off into this movie mm-hmm. and then kills everyone with, with a bunch of famous <laughs> actors, too. Like, it, like it's yeah. not, like, obviously throwaway people. <laughs> right. Totally. Um, and with actors from the previous movie. Yeah. Like, that, that you think would be a part of this film. And then, nope, they're gone. Um, that was exciting. Um, and... Uh, and also just like everything, you know, we haven't even talked about all of the characters and like the weirdness of all of these characters that are involved. Um, I love, you know, we both love heist films and part of, I think one of our, one of my favorite parts of a heist film is the getting the team together, yeah. right? Sequence. And this movie has two of them, right? It has yeah. two whole sequences where we get to meet like all the weird team members and what their weird powers are. And, and I think it's I it's done. condensed in a very, I think, smart way to, like, just get yeah. you into it. It doesn't need to spend too much time there. Right. Um, I think it does right. it really We don't well. need, like, a montage yeah. of each character, like, in their previous life, um, like, with those powers, right? Yeah. Like, we just need a visual and, like, a quick – a name. <laughs> and sometimes that's yeah. all it is, you know? <laughs> um, yeah, I had – that that opening beach sequence was was thrilling yeah. and and fun um and a, like a good preview of like this is the level of gore to expect yeah. in this movie right it like really set your expectations for the rest of the yeah. film and even though i don't love gore i like the way james gunn does gore i think compared to other gory movies um, it feels cartoonish in the right yes, way for definitely. me. Yes, definitely. Where I'm not, yeah, like, flinching when I'm watching the film, right? Like, I'm not upset by what I'm seeing. It's It feels like, um, yeah, it feels like part of the, the universe in, a, in an appropriate yeah. way. Yeah, I'm trying to think of what we want to talk about spoiler-wise other than, like, all I'm th- that's coming to my mind are moments that I want to talk about that really stood out as, like, something special yeah i Um, i think the sequence of john cena and idris elba killing all of those people to go and rescue uh rick flag character um yeah and them ending up being you know the good guys that they went and killed the whole time i i love that and that was one of the aspects that was like you you wouldn't put that in a pg-13 movie um but i really liked that sequence of them just kind of trying to outdo each other um and that's that that's kind of the part of john cena's character that i really enjoyed of just him just being Mm -hmm. over the top like competitive yeah yeah um and i yeah i just i i really enjoyed all of that sequence a lot yeah I, of course, like, was very into the Harley Quinn sequence oh, yeah. where she gets shipped to the president's house and we have this, like, romance montage <laughs> in the middle of the movie out of nowhere, yeah. right? Um, but it was, I think, very appropriate and very fun to watch. And um, I just, like, James Gunn, like, didn't hold back any visual flourishes, right? Yeah. Like, he went for it with color and the birds and the, the dress was so amazing. And um, and I loved the way that that sequence ended with her shooting <laughs> him, the president. Because even though that's, like, 
you know, kind of funny. It's also one of those moments, like her little speech yeah. after she does that was one of those like kind of heart wrenching moments where it's like, oh, this is character development yeah. for this, you know, this love obsessed character. You know, this is obviously like a twisted version of growth, yeah. <laughs> but this is growth for her. Like this is her like owning her own emotional health. Mm-hmm. And I really love that. This is what a Suicide Squad version of that looks like. Yeah. Um, this is what a uh, like a psychotic Harley Quinn version of emotional growth looks like. And yeah, I thought that was really fun and smart. Yeah, and definitely thoughtful. I think for me that the reason the ending yeah. didn't work is I don't love kaiju movies, and I, while, oh, and yeah, while I think like having a massive starfish, you know, break out of this facility and start, you know trampling the city is funny and in in a very inventive way of (laughs) you know um ending this movie i just kind of don't you know just kind of tune out at that point i'm just like okay well you're gonna shoot at him a lot until he falls down um and which is for the most part what what happened um i do i do think that the javelin stuff throughout this movie was very funny and and I, i loved kind of how it ended there for harley quinn um but in general as soon as the kaiju came out i was just like all right well here we go yeah well i think that means we now have to talk about the rats yes which <laughs> let me just say i am very grossed out by rats yeah and so yeah. well so this movie was like all the rat stuff similar to idris elba i was like i don't i don't like Same. this i don't want to be a part Same. of this <laughs> um i'm like the kind of monster that hates the movie ratatouille because rats are so gross that like even though i understand it's supposed to be a heartwarming tale i can't get over the fact of like rats in the kitchen (laughs) like that is that's the line i can't really cross oh man um so this movie like you know i had to get over that essentially because they're a big part of this film um and so the rats attacking the kaiju that was a level of gross that, like, I appreciated from a storytelling perspective, but I didn't love to watch. I agree. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, although I will say, loved the character of Ratcatcher, too. Mm-hmm. Like, loved that performance, loved that character's, like, personality. Just the rats alone was, yeah. was a lot to handle. And just, um, like, the, the kind of character moments that we're talking about of, like, her comforting um idris elba as the rats are swarming is is like it's like just one of those like little moments that's like you don't see stuff like that in most superhero movies like sure yeah um the one the the line you know i think another heartwarming moment is like the scene with Ratcatcher 2 and her father and him explaining you know like the the beauty of rats or whatever (laughs) like i i that moment was sweet, but like didn't affect me as much. You know, I yeah. kind of I see what it, it's doing there. <laughs> the moment that really hit me hard, that didn't have a lot of build up, but that really landed. I think in the moment where they let it happen was with the starfish dying and those mm. like final mm-hmm. words about I was really happy just floating and looking at the stars. Um, that's like such a beautiful concept and such a tragic concept right that like there was this being that wasn't hurting anyone that was perfectly content in its existence and then the american government took a hold of it and like 
not only tortured this being, but caused the deaths of, you know, hundreds of thousands of people um, for research and power. Right. And it's um, and to to sum it to sum it all up in that very like poetic statement, that's poetic sentence um, is the, the genius of James Gunn. Like that is where his like brand of storytelling really makes it worth yeah, it in my opinion. Definitely. I also just want to say going back to Harley Quinn <laughs> that I her whenever Harley Quinn gets a like I'm going to get myself out of the sequence out of mm-hmm. my out of like this prison all by myself sequence um whether that was in Birds of Prey or in this movie um or even in Suicide Squad 2016 I am fully invested <laughs> like to me that is the most thrilling sequence of the movie. I love it. I love that. I love all of the costumes that everybody's wearing during most of that that sequence. Um, when when they're yeah. in their like disguise costumes, um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's it's all just fun. Um, I yeah. think another sequence that stands out to me for some reason is the nightclub scene where they're all just kind of like hanging out and dancing, and then you yeah. see shots of uh, uh the King Shark just like waiting in the car (laughs) like which is very (laughs) sad and like it's like those kinds of things it's like little small moments that kind of really show how a character feels um that that aren't like plot driven at all and then it just goes kind of gets back into the movie so that i those are the things that i really appreciated even though if if it wasn't like my favorite movie well and like me at my most juvenile like the king shark humor works for me like (laughs) in in a, a very primal way like the the joke of like everyone on the walkie talkies like saying like what their visual yeah. is and like King Shark just saying like bird because he's like looking at a bird that's hanging out yeah. with him that is like middle school me like thriving in that kind of humor <laughs> right um, but it still still gets yeah. me so that I appreciated that character for like all of those moments also I want to talk about Idris Elba I think he worked so well in this movie and it was very interesting to compare his performance and his character to the will smith performance and character of suicide Squad. yeah tell me tell me about that because he is playing a different character but basically with the same skill set right (laughs) same skill set same like role in the group you know yeah but pretty much almost the exact same skill set like the whole point of will's Will Smith's character was that like he can hit any like he was a great shooter like he could hit any target I think like Idris Elba's character is more like he can do that plus he's just like a killer assassin in lots of ways right it's not just shooting but that is also part of it um anyway I was thinking about ultimately what I was wondering is what would Will Smith have been like in a James Gunn version of this story right like how would he fit in as a performer and with this tone. Um, and I had a hard time picturing it and maybe this is like a faulty theory, but I kept thinking like, would Will Smith, the actor allow himself to be vulnerable enough to be put in the hands of a director with that much like wacky control, right? Where Will Smith, I think picks movies where he gets to have a lot of control right um or he has like a lot of trust in the director that he's working with 
And I don't know how that would have vibed with like a James Gunn vision. It's just hard for me to picture Will Smith having the freedom or like letting a project he's a part of be as free as this movie felt. Yeah. Um, I don't know what you, what you, if you think how you No, I feel, I, I definitely feel that. I think not having seen the other Suicide Squad, um, I yeah. also just don't really picture James, or James Smith, <laughs> Will Smith, <laughs> mixing James Gunn and Will Smith here. Um, Will Smith in an ensemble movie now at this point in his career. Um, so I don't know yeah. how much the other one focused on his character, um, but it seems like he would have to be like, a main character, which which Idris Elba was definitely one of the main characters in this movie. I just think that like Will Smith would have to play, I think, like one of his bad boys characters, like more jokey, mm-hmm. more fun, um, less like Will Smith would never be like the brooding dark one in a <laughs> movie full of jokes and comedy and stuff like that. You know, he would yeah. he would have to play along. Um, and so I, I definitely don't see him fitting in with this group at all. Yeah. In Suicide Squad 2016, his character is more like brooding. I don't want to be here. I um I am like relu- yeah, reluctant, not having fun. Yeah. Like his character was not yeah. joking at all. But was anybody joking um, in that? Like, like there were jokes, well, but it, it was a dark movie. Like it was it gritty. It was definitely a darker movie. And like. But the, like, the Harley Quinn character is more lighthearted, right? Like, she's not... She doesn't take any of it seriously. And then you had, like, the Jai Courtney character, who is a little, like, twitchy, I guess is, like, the best (laughs) way to describe him. And um, super... I wouldn't say he was funny, but he also wasn't super serious, right? And then, of course, you have the... um, Oh, what's his name? It's on the tip of my tongue. The white guy, the 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 military white guy, Rick Flag. Yeah, but what is Joel the Kinnaman? actor's name? Joel Kinnaman. Thank you. Um, so you have Joel Kinnaman playing like the straight man, right? That's like rounding them all together and trying to be in charge. Um, Joel Kinnaman was so much more fun in this The Suicide Squad. Like Joel Kinnaman felt like charming and relatable and fun in this movie, and in the first movie, he's like the tight ass, right? That like. Yeah is being forced to be there having to deal with all these unruly villains and, um, you know, bitching at them and yelling at them. Right. And in this movie, he's like part of the gang. Um, and I enjoyed that a lot. I I enjoyed that like character. Yeah. Turn. Yeah. That's, that's much yeah. more fun. <laughs> yeah. Him and like, I, was it him that wore like the cowboy yeah. hat in the club? Yeah. I was like, Oh, Joel Kinnaman, hello. <laughs> also very funnily, like, this movie truly, other than, like, maybe those characters, like, the premise and their names, like, it does not hark back to the previous film's events at all in any yeah. way. Like, in the first movie, the whole plot was that um, Rick Flag fell in love with a woman whose body was possessed by the ultimate villain of that movie. Oh, and interesting. And so <laughs> he was part of the Suicide Squad because he was trying to save that woman that he loved. Like, not because he wanted to, but because, yeah. you know, a woman that he loves is, you know, in danger. And, you know, that's not referenced at all in this movie. <laughs> um, yeah. The, oh, we've got to talk about really quickly the Viola Davis character. And that performance. Yeah, was she such a bad guy in the first Suicide Squad? Because that did kind of take me by surprise. She, I mean, 
Yes, but not not as bad. Like not as like evidently yeah. like because she's pretty villainous in uh, this movie. <laughs> totally, totally. Like in the first one, no, she's definitely not as villainous. She is in the in the sense that she like, um. I think in the first one, very similarly to this one, she gets Will Smith to join the Suicide Squad by, I don't know if she threatens his daughter, because he also has a daughter, <laughs> um, or if she, like, promises that to get his daughter into college. You know, like, I, I know, I remember there was something about him saying, like, she's going to get to go to, like, whatever school she wants, and, like, the joke in that movie is, like, she's going to get to go to, like, rich white people's yeah. school, like, uh, like, that's you know, the, the highest form of comedy that that movie yeah. had. Um, and so sh I, I don't know if there was a threat involved as well in that exchange. Um, but I feel like the villainous aspect of her is that like in that movie was that like, again, all of these characters have these bombs in their yeah. head that can go off at a push of her button. And she's not afraid to push the button, right? Like that she's, if, if anything goes awry, she'll push it. And um, that is where, like, her tension and fear kind of derives from. Um, this movie really, like, pumped that up to, like, her threatening to kill a little girl or, or a teenage girl. Her threatening, um, her not caring about the lives of people in that city, right? Like, her kind of, like, sacrificing that whole team as a distraction, yeah. right? So I like all of those choices. I like the the choice to make the person who would have invented the Suicide Squad as a concept to be as villainous as that character was, yeah. right? Like, that makes a lot of sense to me. Her office, like, teaming up against yeah. her felt a little yeah, cheesy. Yeah, I didn't love that. You know? <laughs> the humor of that didn't work for me. The, you know, like, for, for the plot to move along, mm -hmm. I guess, was fine. But, like, I wasn't, like, cheering when they did yeah. that, you know? Like, but I, um, I'm intrigued if, about, like, where this franchise goes from here. Whether there's going to be another movie. Yeah. Um, and how the events of this movie would impact that, if, if that is the case. Yeah, I'm curious about that as well. I think, I mean, the... Because, like, you can't pull that trick twice, no. right? Like, she's still in charge. Right. And you can't pull the trick of, like, her team overthrows her yeah. you know, in the next movie yeah. as well. Um, so I know they are doing a Peacemaker TV show with John Ugh, Cena's character. Really? Yeah. Um, which I'm not I don't that. know how that's going to work because he's, like, obviously not a person that anybody wants to hang out with is the whole point of this movie. Um, right. So, yeah. Um, like, it, it's obvious that, like... James Gunn tried to kill him and then DC wanted him for a TV show because yeah. um, he's still alive. So, uh, yeah, so I, I don't know really what's going to happen there, but I, they haven't like announced anything as far as like a next movie, but I could definitely see them doing another one just because it seems like people really enjoyed this one. Yeah. Um, I'm in on another one. If they bring James Gunn back, um, I don't know. I think the tone for this kind of story is really specific and to nail it is tricky. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, I'm sure there are other directors that I would like doing this, but it's not a long list. Yeah, I agree. Um, I'm trying to think of anyone off the top of my head. You know, honestly, like he would never um, do it, but, um, but like the only person that I could think of that would take on like 
this kind of storytelling correctly is um, Park Chan-wook. Oh, that'd be interesting. <laughs> right? Like, obviously he would yeah. never do a Suicide Squad yeah. movie, but, like, he he is someone who I think would handle that, like, gore and tension and, like, villainy in an interesting way. Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah, I would, I mean, look, I'll watch anything he does, but... <laughs> yeah. I definitely yeah. don't see him doing I, I was just trying to think of what directors would I trust to, like, handle that tone in, a, in an interesting way. And his he was the first one that popped yeah. into my mind. Yeah, that's a good good call. Um, yeah. Um. Okay, Lucas, are you ready to go back to the White Lotus? Let's do it. Let's wrap up and go to the White Lotus. spoilers for the whole season of the white lotus um i i yeah. think i oh, go ahead i was you gonna start. say i would love to talk about each of the the main um yes. guests yeah their their groups yeah. um and just kind of walk through like what what their arcs looked like because i thought there were some really interesting things that that happened there um i think obviously we should start with not not obviously um we should just start with the the couple um i yeah, forgot their I names <laughs> Shane and fuck, what Rachel. Is her name? Yes. Rachel, I yeah. Think? yeah, um, yeah. I she was someone who I just didn't really know where they were going with her character the whole show. Um, and, and at first, I was just like, I don't like, I don't like that they're being so like she could go anyway. Um, and I I actually ended up liking that a lot in the end um, of just her them handling her as like she could have the life that she you know. Or the you know the, everything she dreamed about, both both yeah. directions of it, like like the the living her own life and figuring out what she wants and what she dreamed about, which is just being rich, you know, <laughs> and and yeah. her you know eventually choosing that. And I do think that that's a great a great terrible decision. <laughs> um, right. That that was I think dramatized like really really well. Yeah, I mean that. Oh God, I mean it was horrifying, yeah. right? Like their whole relationship dynamic. Um, to see her, like, you know, kind of have this awakening to who the person is that she's chosen to spend a life with, um, to like, and, and to understand how that could have happened so easily, yeah. right? But like, I can picture the ways in which this guy is likable and charming, him being for like three months, yeah. right? And you can picture how... You can get swept up in that, and then there's the wedding, and then you're finally alone with nothing, without a wedding to talk about, without places to go and people to see. You're literally just, finally just alone. And then his, and you're under stress maybe for the first time, like as a couple, like, or, or maybe he's under stress for the first yeah. time, because let's assume he didn't plan anything with the wedding or have to deal with any of that. Um and to see your partner under stress for the first time and to witness, like, who they really are um, and the terror of that, right? Yeah. And the terror of um, seeing, like, with her character, I, I, I this is not an observation. Uh, this is not an observation I heard someone else say online. But, like, seeing different versions of herself at that mm -hmm. resort, right? Like, different versions of what her future could become. Yeah. Like, 
in the Connie Britton character. Like that is a version that she could pursue. Mm -hmm. Um, They're, you know, seeing her mother-in-law and seeing like that version of what her life could be like, or seeing the Jennifer Coolidge Mm -hmm. character and like this mess of a, a lone person. Right. And if she has these three paths and if those seem like the only three options, um, ending that story with her like choosing the one that seems the least scary. Yeah. And even though like she has to live with it in this like gross marriage, the, that was the least frightening option. Yeah. yeah. Really um, powerful. Tragic. <laughs> but, but yeah, but so mm-hmm. good. I just like her performance when she was trying to end things, I think was so mm-hmm. good. I think her, her acting in like all those little conversations with like, her mother-in-law or with yeah. like Connie Britton or the, t- or the, the college mm-hmm. girls um, where all of her insecurities are like, just like trembling at the surface, yeah. you know, they're not on full display, right. but they're like trying so hard to break free it was so wonderful. Like she is, she, she pulled out, I think the performance that will stay with me the most in this yeah. show. I want to talk about the Shane character yes. because my God, I am fascinated by this <laughs> this character and this storyline. Um, one of the things I loved so much about it is that, like, most of his frustrations or complaints on the surface are not as, like, indefensible as when you watch him portray yeah. them. Right? If you were like, just to tell somebody it, the things that he's doing, you'd be like, I don't right. I don't get what you're talking about. Like it's annoying, but I don't, it's why like, is this guy such a right. bad guy? You yeah. know, like like if so, if you were to say if I was to tell you, Lucas, like I went to this hotel that I had like saved up all this money for and I booked a certain room and then they didn't put me in the room and then they also kept lying to me about the fact that like I'm paying for this other like right. you yeah. you would be like, Yeah that yeah. sucks. And then, and then, like all of his conspiracies about this about Armand being out out for him are yeah. true. Like he's not <laughs> imagining or blowing things out of proportion in the sense that like Armand did purposely ruin their yeah. dinner. Like he they like he did give him a fake number. Like <laughs> all of that was real, and I love that choice mm-hmm. to make us hate this character and hate the way he's reacting to everything. In the face of true, like, quote unquote, legitimate frustration, right? Instead of making him, I think, more of a satirical character that would be, like, getting mad at things he absolutely shouldn't be mad at, right? Or, like, being a jerk for no reason, right? Yeah. Um, I think that that was really smart to, like, toe that line. And to see the reasons why he was being a jerk, but still be like, oh, but I hate this guy. I hate the way he can't let this go. And I think ultimately, like, the issue was, as an audience, we don't like the way he's treating, like, this service person that makes so much less than he Mm -hmm. does, right? Right? That, like, is in a different class. And, like, that alone is, like, just let it go. You know, like, you're so privileged and have so much beauty and, um, pleasure ahead of you like this doesn't ma- matter that much but watching his dynamic with Rachel and I think the true villainy for me is that like his partner is falling apart and he 
isn't noticing it because he's so wrapped up in this thing that doesn't matter. Yeah. And he can't let it go. That like, no matter what, no matter what she says to him, or no matter how much they sh- he should be, you know, he gets after her for not working on their honeymoon, but like he's spending their honeymoon in an awful mood because of him not, you know, letting this go. That's the true moments where I was so angry. Yeah. Like, like stop worrying about this. Pay attention yeah. to your wife. <laughs> yeah. Jake Lacey, I love I love Jake Lacey. And I love him mixing his moments of sweet charming that he's so good at. Um, with these moments of true like douchebaggery, yeah. I 100% agree. I I do thought I do think that their their dynamic is something that you can only portray. I think in a in something that runs this long, like you couldn't condense this mm-hmm. their story down to, even though it doesn't feel like much happened with them, like actual like plot narrative stuff. Not a lot happened with them, but their story needs to be stretched out over these six episodes to be able to truly get it, which I think is just really, really, really good writing and really good, um, pacing for, for how this works. Um, yeah, I would like to talk about the family. Um, yeah, let's do it. I, the Mossbachers. Yes. Um, I love, absolutely love, um, both, um, Steve Zahn and, Connie Britton. And I think them together makes so much sense in this. But like when you first see them together, I'm like, yes. those that doesn't feel like a real couple. Um, and but then as they interact, you're like, this is exactly how all of this would go. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, like they are they are both people who feel like they are great people and doing the right thing. And yet pairing them with their children and uh kind of their interactions with them you get to see so much depth and fakeness i guess to to both sides of it both in the kids and in the um in the parents as well um that i just loved yeah um i you know mike white is the showrunner of this show and from what i can tell i don't believe he has children and you know he created this show and then he also he made a movie um recently called brad status that is about a dad Mm -hmm. taking his you know high school senior son to like different colleges to visit to like pick out what college he's gonna go to um and so i'm really interested in the stories that mike white is telling about like the parent-child relationship and just like in this in this story of the of the mossbachers um of Steve Zahn dealing with issues with his emotional issues with his past mm-hmm. father, right? And the way, you know, how that relationship developed and then trying to develop relationships with his son and and, and sometimes his daughter, but mostly his mm-hmm. son and wanting that relationship to be different. Those moments I felt were really special. And then also the Connie Britton's character as like this head of the family mother figure, right? That everyone seems to kind of resent (laughs) Um, in some ways for like very appropriate reasons. And in other other ways for reasons that like, like I was frustrated on her behalf, right? Where it's like, everyone just be nice to your mother, you know? Like I, I really liked her like breakdown with her family being about her being the villain about her being the one that like everyone blames everything on um when all she does is like try to bring the family together and provide right 
Um, and even though she's not as innocent as that, like, you know, monologue makes her out to be, um, I can see that same frustration in lots of other women and lots of other mothers, mm-hmm. right? Um, especially when your kids are both, like, around teenage age and are, like, incredibly unbearable yeah. as people <laughs> and, and have these gross attitudes. The brother-sister dynamic of, like, mean older sister and brother that's just, like, trying to awkwardly exist yeah. in the world was painful and, <laughs> and so accurate. I re- Like, his was the only, I think, happy, like, truly happy journey. Um, yeah. And I really enjoyed his end, like, where it ended with him. Um, yeah. Not that I completely believe that he will live happily ever after in Hawaii. Um, but right. <laughs> I do think, like, he's the one character who uh, felt changed by this experience. Um, yeah. In a, in, a, in a way that felt... Um, hopeful i guess um everybody else you know as everybody else is getting on the plane you see this as like i had a great time in hawaii and i you know maybe learned some things about myself and you know or i you know we endured this amazing experience and stuff like that um but him kind of deciding to stay i think it it just made me feel good uh, after this um pretty much depressing ending (laughs) yeah there's something I think to be said for him being the youngest character on the show and how like that kind of hopeful ending can only really happen for the most youthful character. The one who has the most innocence Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, the capitalist world that like everyone is functioning under hasn't like impacted his him in the same way it has all these other adults yeah. right i think even paula um, um like you see how much it affects her but n- not um in a way that makes her change at all no. <laughs> um no. because she is you know she's tied to this wealth and she's tied to uh, a certain amount of privilege that is allotted to her um that she right. wants for other people but is not willing to sacrifice for or anything like that in a way that i right. felt like was I, I really liked seeing that in this movie or show. Yeah. The Paula character is so interesting, mm-hmm. right? Because she feels for like for the people at the white mm-hmm. Lotus and specifically Kai. And, um, you know, she is different than the rest of the guests. Like she doesn't have the same privilege as the rest of the guests. She doesn't have the same, um, entitlement as the rest of them but she's not willing to yeah like give up the privilege she has by association she's not willing to steal the bracelet for kai instead she like makes him do that right and like take that risk when things go down she doesn't really like make any honorable efforts to resolve that she kind of you know, throws that necklace in the ocean is like, okay, well, I guess this yep. is done, you know. And her relationship with Olivia was fascinating to me. I have been in those female friendships where you feel very close with someone. You, you like, you want to spend all your time mm-hmm. with them, right? And, but the, you don't fully trust them or their mm-hmm. motives. And at the same time, you don't hate them. You know what I mean? Like, she doesn't hate Olivia. She's not Olivia's, you know, enemy pretending to be her friend. 
I think they genuinely are friends and they yeah. genuinely like doing stuff together. Um, and I think that ending with the two of them was really, really interesting because this, I think in a normal, like, I think you would have expected this to end that friendship. And I think that speaks to the complexity of the female friendship, which is that like, this is not ending this friendship, right? Yeah. This is, this friendship is a little fucked up and imbalanced, <laughs> yeah. but like there is true compassion and care between these two characters. I think it goes both ways, even if one of them is a little bit more clueless than the other, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I really liked that they didn't make Olivia into a perfect um, person who like stands up against her parents in a, in a strong mm-hmm. way, right? Like she's always like poking <laughs> at her parents, but she doesn't do anything real, yeah. right? Like she's not this honorable person. Um, but the, I, I like that she was not a full villain either, yeah. right? Like she doesn't do anything other than flirt with her friend's boyfriend, right? Or and, and we understand that previously she probably slept with her friend's boyfriend. Yeah. Um, she doesn't do anything despicable. Um, but to me, that is the interesting balance, right? Is like what – how do you handle this person who is a flawed person that I enjoy – um, but whose flaws like really nag at me. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I was, I was really interested in that dynamic. Definitely. And then also, of course, just like their observations of everyone around <laughs> them was so ready yeah. for that. <laughs> I like the ways that they were able to see through people and then the ways that they mm-hmm. weren't. Um, I <laughs> really liked their like Gen Z way of poking at their parents, you yeah. know, um, and, and pointing out how like misguided their parents' way of thinking was, but not being smart enough or impassioned enough to really like shoot their parents down, yeah. right? Or like prove them wrong or or call them out. Just the surface um, level arguments. Yes, yeah. Enough to be annoying, yeah. but not enough to change anyone's mind. Yeah. <laughs> the Connie Britton scene yeah. where she, you know, says to her own daughter, like, what are you going to do? Cancel yeah. me? Dox me? <laughs> Sick the K-pop fans on me? It's so fantastic. Yeah. Oh, man. And I did like how, like, the show took these chances, right, at, like, these little monologues from those parents about the state of the world, yeah. right? We're like, ev- with any of the other characters, they're not talking about race or class in any, you know, we're seeing that in their play out in their story, yeah. but we're not having it discussed in their interactions. Whereas like at the dinner table with this family, it's this like quote unquote intellectual point of t- conversation, right. Right? right? The scene where Steve Zahn's character mm-hmm. basically says like, nothing's going to change. Like human interest is human interest. And like, what, are we going to give up our money? No, that's not going to happen. And how depressing that is, right? <laughs> and uh, But very yeah. real. And, you know, and then you, and you, right, and you have that Olivia character. In that moment, she's not saying, like, yeah, we should give up some of our money. Right. Like, that's exactly what we should do. Like, you just said the exact thing we should be doing. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I enjoyed shining a light on like the honesty of that character in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's just continuing to fall back into a lot of the same, um, 
not even traps, but just behaviors as and, and, and acting as if they're normal of just like if I just continue the same behaviors I have before because they're normal, then they are right. Yeah. Which I do think is, the, is very similar to um, the Jennifer Coolidge character. Um, as, as we kind of talk, mm-hmm. talk about her, I do feel like she has this – she feels like she's on a life-changing um, journey here with her mom dying and her wanting to spread her ashes and stuff like that. And in the end, it is just her – kind of ending this chasing after another guy, which is something that she says yeah. that she's been doing, you know, her entire life. The Jennifer Coolidge scenes were the scenes that I, I paid the least amount of attention to and that I was the least invested in. I think the scenes with her and um, Belinda, mm-hmm. the Natasha Rothwell yeah. character, um, those scenes I was very invested in because of that Belinda yeah. character. Like that, that was another like standout performance Agreed. for me of, just a woman, you know, truly trying her best. Like, the moral center of this show, right? Who's who's someone who's really can't, trying to bring good into this world and um, struggling as she's doing it, right? And is tired. And her getting this m- glimpse of hope that she has to kind of degrade herself for by, like, not, I mean, degrade is, I think, maybe the wrong word, but, like, she has to, like, be at the beck and call, mm-hmm. right, of this woman that she is – who is kind of a mess. And in moment, there are times when I think she does want to be a true and, and loving, helpful person mm-hmm. to this woman. And other times where it's, like, tiresome, yeah. right? That, God, how much of this do I have to endure <laughs> in order to have this opportunity that I very much deserve, yeah. right? Yeah. And, oh, my God, the scene where – it all gets taken mm-hmm. away is I mean, that is the most heartbreaking yeah. scene in the whole show in a show full of a lot of like heartbreaking moments. That is the one that like really left yeah. you that will stay with me. What um, I, what I love about that scene is she doesn't try and, you know, couch it in some kind of um, apology at all. It's just like, she's truly making it entirely about herself. Um, and the fact yeah. that she's like, and, and what she's saying is true. She's like, I'm, I usually control people with my money and I don't want to get into, into a situation where that happens again. Um, which yeah. is exactly what has been happening this entire time. And it's, it's true right. that she shouldn't be doing this, but she also then leans into, and I've met somebody and I'm going to, try and try and make that work with him and it's entirely without consideration for how Valinda's feeling about any of this which I just thought was a great way of doing this I mean also just like the true horror like tragedy genius of Valinda like holding back the tears and then finally when she leaves she starts crying and then she comes back with sunglasses And 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 at that point you can't right. stop crying. Like it's it's the floodgates are released yeah. and uh, and oh that is uh, so so hard. I mean so so well done. Yeah. You know one thing that did bother me and and this is my you know a minor thing, but it kind of bothered me that I never knew where the Jennifer Coolidge character got her money from, like how. Because I think there were because that was never explicitly stated, um, there was a lot of times while watching the show that I kept thinking like she doesn't have money. Like this is it's all gonna be a lie, right? Mm-hmm. Like this is gonna 
be someone who spent her last penny on this trip, you know? I kept thinking that she was going to be the one that was going to die. Um, and, like, this was going to be some sort of, like, tragic, yeah. you know, ending mm-hmm. for her. Um, and so I wish we, it would have just been mentioned once, like, whether it was family money or, you know, yeah. like, if she, you know, if she had a, a late husband or whatever it was that, like, gave us context for what kind of rich person yeah. she was. That's interesting. Um, I never I never even thought about the fact that she might not be <laughs> rich. Um and yeah. even though it doesn't um call out exactly, you know, how they're rich. So let's talk about the about Armand and we've talked about mm-hmm. Belinda a little bit and so like Armand is like the opposing character, right? To Belinda's goodness is Armand's like chaoticness. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And not evil. Like he's not a bad person and that he's like trying to harm people other than shame. Um, But like, so he doesn't like have it out for everyone, but his, but this position has driven him to madness and all it's all of his worst impulses are like, being released because yeah. of it, right? Yeah. Uh, so I want to bring up there is a um, person on Twitter. Their username is Tom and Lorenzo. I'm really glad you're bringing up this thread because I had it pulled up. I was about oh to bring my it up as well. Gosh, <laughs> I'm so glad that we both have this. So um, they did a thread. I'm assuming I'm, I'm actually not familiar. Okay, so it's author. So it's like it looks seems it seems like it's two people. I don't know. Um, but this Twitter thread is basically um. He's saying about how um, this character of Armand is very interesting when you think of it specifically as the narrative of, like, a middle-aged gay white man (laughs) and how differently from Belinda, who has grown up as a person of color and has had to, like, wrestle with their her existence in comparison to like the privilege of everyone else's existence yeah. around her you know and has grown up knowing how to balance that and maintain her sanity and um and and live in this you know fucked up world um the armand character grew up as a you know white cis man expecting all of the privilege that comes with that and because he is gay, it's, like, denied um, that same level of privilege as what he was, like, groomed and raised to expect. Mm-hmm. And how that, like, kind of fucks with your psyche. Um, and how it doesn't – it means he doesn't have, like, the coping skills of someone like Belinda. And how he has, like, that same entitlement um, but without any of the access and power as, like, a shame. Yeah. Um, and that's that I think was the was the one thing coming out of the show that I was kind of bumping on was this continued feeling of like he should have the tools to deal with this um right ju- just like Belinda and why why is this the thing that is sending him out on a you know <laughs> on a bender really um when you know this is something that he has been dealing with his whole life but I think yeah reading this thread and kind of really getting to understand that like he never developed those tools. <laughs> yeah. So it, like, cause he, d- he didn't have to like that. That's something that I find just very, very interesting to explore in this show. Yeah. I would recommend people look this thread up on Twitter. Um, well I'll, re- I'll retweet yeah. it on the feeling it Twitter account. Um, because it is, you know, there, this, he's 
detailing this in a much more eloquent way than like yeah. I am. And um, it's a really interesting perspective that I would have never come yeah. up with or, or, or come to realize without like him pointing this out. Um, but that's really fascinating when you think of it through that lens, um, especially I think one of the, the last tweets in the thread, he says specifically, one more point, the fact that Murray Bartlett is hot and always has been compounds everything I just described by a fast factor of a thousand. Yeah. The aging beauties are the worst <laughs> when it comes to this sort of thing. Casting him was brilliant. Yeah. Um, and I loved that because that also kind of plays into his character from looking, right? Mm-hmm. Like of this person who grew up, who is this, probably this, the hottest guy in every room he walked in in his 20s mm-hmm. and 30s right and had everyone fawning over him and probably got his way a lot of the time because of those looks and charm and now in his 40s and i don't know how old he is possibly early 50s he um is you know still charming and, and respected quote unquote but doesn't get the same kind of attention that he has been fed for a decade, yeah. right? And or decades. And doesn't isn't getting the attention, doesn't have the power or privilege or money and um what all of those expectations and um denied access will do to a yeah. mind, you yeah. know. Yeah, it really really fascinating character work from him and um also just like very entertaining mm-hmm. and fun to Definitely. watch, right? It's it's fun to kind of, his was kind of like, you know, I don't always like movies where someone's losing their mind. Yeah. Like those that doesn't really work for me. I find it very frightening and upsetting to mm-hmm. watch, but watching him lose his mind was kind of fun, yeah, right? I also felt like um, it wasn't too far off the deep end to where he couldn't come back from it at any point in time. Right. So at any point in time, right. I feel like, I feel like it could have ended and he could have kind of come back to uh, reality and kept everything together. And so I think, I think that's what yeah. was enjoyable about it. Once you get to a point where it's like, well, this person's gone. There's no coming back from this. This is it. That is never as enjoyable for me. <laughs> right. Even like if he had gotten fired, he could still come back from that. Yes, as a person, exactly. Right. Yeah. Like, he might not be career wise. He might not be able to come back to the White right. Lotus, but like as a human being, he could have grown and mm-hmm. come back from this, you know, b- b- rock bottom that he yeah. had hit. So then, the the ultimate tragedy of him being the one that dies in this mm-hmm. show, um, and the choreography of that also, to where it's not like Shane killed him out of madness or frustration, yeah. you know, or um armand killed someone out of his own madness and frustration um which is i think is what i was expecting it would lead up to yeah right it it really feels like just two scared guys in a room like accidentally bumping into each other kind of a situation like is all it is nothing about it seems malicious or even aggressive it's all like (laughs) yeah it's just tragic just truly the the that the actions of both of them led to that moment, you know? I want to know, while you were watching the show, how much you were thinking about who's going to be dead. Since I was watching it week to week, I wasn't thinking about it at all, honestly. Like, at the, okay. uh, during the first episode, I was thinking about it a lot. But as I got yeah. into it, it really became clear that, like, 
it's not uh, leading you anywhere with it. Like you're not supposed to try and figure it out. It's not a mystery at all. Um, right. It's just saying like this is like we're 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 pointing to the outfield and telling you this is where the show is go- is going. But you don't have to um, try and get there before us. And so it's um, I think week to week I wasn't at all even interested in who died. It was just like, somebody's going to die at the end of this. I don't care who during the last episode yeah. is the only time that I was thinking about it. Cause there are hints throughout as stuff kind of happens. Right. For um, me, I wasn't as much as like, I want to solve the mystery as much as I was thinking like, who am I going to be the least upset about dying? Yeah. You know, like who am I emotionally <laughs> invested in? Yeah. Right. Where like, if they die, I'm going to be upset. Yeah. I mean, Rachel's the obvious um, one that I feel like they couldn't do. Like I, I was just, I was convinced it wasn't going to actually be Rachel. Right. I didn't think it was either. Um, I think that would have been too yeah. obvious. Right. That like, you know, uh, with the airport right. scene that like, <laughs> if it had been her, that would have been like really annoying. Um, I think as I'm watching the show, I'm getting, even though, I'm getting attached to all of them, right? And the genius of that show is that the only one who I actually want to see die is Shane. Yeah. And that's the only person that we know is not going to die. Yeah. So, like, the the only person that, like, you kind of are rooting for him to die is the one that you know won't be. Yeah. That won't. And so that does, it makes you keep thinking, like, is someone actually, you know, they said I heard someone was killed, but is someone going to actually just, like, die of natural causes? Is someone going to... Well, that's why to... with, like, Jennifer Coolidge's guy coughing all the time and everything right. like that, you're like, is it just going to be some rando that shows up and... <laughs> you know? I know. Like... I know. Uh, part of me was kind of like... Part of me hoped it was Jennifer Coolidge's guy so that, like, I didn't have to yeah, feel yeah. the pain of one of the other yeah. characters. But then another part of me was like, that's it such, is a, such cop a cop out. out. <laughs> that is, like, the guy, the person that dies. Um, they have the, the, the thing about the son, his arms yep. being tired and then he's about to go scubaing, yep. right? They're, um, they have the scene where Shane brings a knife mm-hmm. into the argument with, um, with Rachel. Um, I, I, it makes a lot of sense for it to be Armand and for Armand to have this tragic end, um, with his life being in like the downward spiral <laughs> that it was, but, I also was watching this show with the knowledge that a season two of White Lotus has been announced. And at the time, I didn't know what that meant. And so the whole time I was watching it, I kept thinking like, well, surely they're not going to kill Murray Bartlett because if they're going to do a season two, like he's the one that would stay, right? Him and maybe Belinda. Um, And then you bring in new Mm -hmm. guests. Um, but then I found out that the the new season two will be new location yeah. and new char- yeah. uh, character, which is I'm very excited for. I think that's a great call. It's going to be fun. <laughs> I think it's so smart. Yeah, I yeah. think it's so smart. I'm really excited for yeah. it as well. Um, I think it's smart that this show could have a new location each mm-hmm. season. Um, I think it's smart that we could do like that. They don't all have to be tropical, yeah. right? Like um, any kind of resort mm-hmm. you could do like. Iceland, you could do, you know, um, you can even do something like as gross as Vegas. Like, yeah. um, and so, yeah, I think I'm excited for more of this. Um, it, I'll be interested to see if like, I'm, sh- I'm pretty sure they won't do like the, someone gets killed. Yeah. 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 <laughs> again, you know, but if they don't like what ties an ending of a, of a limited sh- series like this together again will be interesting to see like how they they craft that 
but I yeah. I'm so glad that we got this show. Me too. I'm very excited for the the future of it, but I think this um season was really fun to watch. I don't think it's it's a flashy show. Like it's one of those shows that like right. There's not a lot to, like, draw you in immediately. It's just a really well-done story. <laughs> so. Yeah. It's, well, it's yeah. in this. Yeah. It's like a lot of these character moments, it, they're very small, yeah. right? Like, it's all about these small interactions. And, like, there's not big fights or big plot developments, yeah. right? It's all about just these small, char- like, character moments where people are slowly revealing mm-hmm. themselves. And I, got, I love, I love yeah. that. All right. Well, um, Lucas, where can people find you on the internet these days? You can find me everywhere at Lucas and Stuff. And you can find me on all social media platforms at Sandra Amstutz. My last name is spelled A-M-S-T-U-T-Z. And you can find us on Twitter at Feeling It Pod. We'll make sure to retweet that um, Twitter thread we were discussing about White Lotus. Um, thanks for listening, yep. everyone. Bye. Thank you. Goodbye now. Goodbye. Go away. I'll see you soon, okay? That's it? Go home? Yep. Move along, Padre. Goodbye, old friend. That's it. That's our show for tonight, people. 